Welcome to Judges and Brews, everyone. I am your host, Mo, and with me is also your co-host, Austin. Austin, first episode. You excited? I am so excited to be here. We have a great lineup of topics to talk about today, along with a great brew to review. A brew to crew review? Yeah, part of the pod, part of the brew is all in this experience for us. So we're going to go ahead and get started with some introductions. Uh, Mo, why don't you take a, kick us off with the introductions on your just your experience in D&D, tabletops, uh, kind of your current campaigns. Just kind of give everybody a background of you as a player and or DM. Okay, so uh, I am obviously Mo. I am one of your brewmasters here uh, with uh, Austin here. And I've been doing D&D now for about the last four years. I think yeah, since about 20, uh, 2019. I really started a little bit more into 2018, so about five years now. I remember seeing friends playing it at the time, and I'm going, this is an absolutely nerdy game. I would never roll dice and then pretend to use my imagination. Mm -hmm. And here I am five years later doing a podcast. We're also in Mo's basement. Yeah, a basement. Yeah, he, he has a legit D&D &D dungeon. I, so I'm was it always 5e for you? 5e was uh, always the addition that I was uh, introduced with. Uh, so no Pathfinder or anything like that? So I was confused for the longest time. I thought Pathfinder was D&D, <laughs> right? So I remember going up to friends going, oh, yeah, uh, 3.5 or uh, Pathfinder is 2.0 or something like that. I just kept coming up with words. They're like, you know it's two different games, right? I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and I sound like one of those arrogant nerds afterwards because I was like, let me look more into it. By the way, Pathfinder. Badass game. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. No, there's yeah. a lot of rules of Pathfinder that we, we can get into on another yeah, episode. Yeah, because we'll be, that's a, literally a three-episode arc right Other there. than that, what are some other nerddom kind of uh, you know areas that you really geek out on? So I've uh, talked about you with this one, but I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. Mm -hmm. I, from the original, starting from way back when, like, I think I still remember playing some of the, My first Final Fantasy game was Final Fantasy VII, though, but I've literally not become one of those Part of the th I still like Final Fantasy VII, but it's not my favorite by not even close. I'm a big Final Fantasy XIV player right now, online play. Love that story. I'm very much always been interested in Final Fantasy stories mm -hmm. in general. So it's always been my favorite type of uh, type of ways to explore fantasy and get into it. Lord of the Rings fan as well. Uh, we were, I know, just watching it the other day. So yeah, very much a big fan of that. And I would say just in general, video games in general have always been like a nice little outlet mm -hmm. and outsource for me. A little bit more into also reading sources as well. Like I was a big Harry Potter kid mm -hmm. growing up. So Is that where you draw book. inspiration? So like what's your favorite type of monster from any anything, D&D, video games, anything like that? Just to kind of give people like what is the ideal psychotic monster in your mind? I think, I think... So it's a little bit of psycho uh, psychology, right? I like the idea of a monster that's not not necessarily bad, right? For instance, a, a figure that, for instance, like Thanos, right? Let's talk about Thanos, for instance, right? He's a villain, right? Villain, bad guy, all that stuff, but he's a villain that people relate with. There's a character within Final Fantasy XIV called Emmett Selk. Same concept, right? They just they, there's there's a gravitas towards a figure that people can go, oh man, he's got a good point. Oh man, they've got a good point. Oh crap, I kind of agree with a bad guy. If it came down to just strict monster though, I've always been a fan of like elementals of some sort. I love playing with elements. I love playing with like, you know, radiance or dark necromancy, stuff like that. Any type of creature that isn't necessarily, I would say, based on physical form, but more that, that fun form, that form that is just like, I'm gonna set the house on fire. 
So what about you, Austin? I know you've been doing D&D for quite longer than me. I know you've uh, always been... Actually, not probably it. not actually as long. Um, so I started D&D in high school, um, but I only really played kind of a couple uh, one-off, off shot, like one-shots and things like that. I really didn't get any ex- real experience with it um, until uh, COVID, actually, was when I started full-time with it. Uh, some friends from college had uh, moved around a bunch, and we since we couldn't travel... We did D&D, and that's when I started playing, and then shortly after, I started DMing, and now I run, like, four games every month. Uh, most of them are bi-weekly. Some are just once a month, and I play in one or two others, just kind of depending on the schedules. Um, always been 5e. I ha- you know, I have obviously pulled some ideas. I think a lot of monsters in Pathfinder are a little bit more um, creative um, sometimes, especially if you're looking at straight produced public content from the actual creator once you get into the homebrew stuff there's some real cool things i know we've talked about tome of beasts and i'm sure it'll come up here um before but go look up cobalt press everybody yeah if you haven't looked into cobalt press go do it they especially if you are a dm and you need a monster cobalt press i that we are not sponsored by them i want to point that out this first episode we have no sponsors no nothing it's go fine. go get it we have several um, sponsors already but as far Pepsi as like is right now <laughs> As far as other nerddom history, um, I, I'm into you know pretty much the big tenets: uh, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, I love doing Legos and all that kind of stuff. I was a very big League of Legends player um, in college. I still kind of play off and on. Uh, oh, know, you did of, League? Yeah, a lot oh, of wow. lot of League. Like, I mean, months of League. Like, if you oh, like thousands of games, thousands of games. I climbed to like plat one or something. Were you in mid lane, bot lane? No, I was top lane. Top I like I like being on my yeah. island. Is that? But we can get into that on, on another episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not not. It's I'm far happier no longer doing the ranked grunt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you know, a lot of the big tenants. You know, I watch anime. Uh, one Piece episode 1071 came out for everybody. Gear five. I was super stoked about it. Oh, you got Super Saiyan Luffy. Oh, yeah, super, super Saiyan super, Monkey. My, yeah, my, my, my yeah, bad. Basically, my super Saiyan. Luffy. Basically, Super Saiyan. It's Super Saiyan. It's Super Saiyan Luffy. I read it in the so I saw a glimpse of it in the manga. It's yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great, truly. Um, But I would say my favorite type of fantasy monsters are actually the ones where you destroy something the party isn't expecting to lose. So things like the rust monster, where you, for those of you who don't know, a rust monster is basically just a little creature that feeds on metal, and it can destroy players' equipment, it can destroy players' swords, like armor, magic, like things like that, anything made of metal, it can start to devour and turn into rust, and it takes penalties. So it's a very unique monster. But another one that I saw, I think it came from, it's not Kobold Press. It was another uh, It was another third party. I, I'll have to look it up and say, say it another time. But they came up with one that was a monster that essentially stole spell slots. So on a, on a failed like intelligence save or something like that. So obviously a very poignant targeted save. It was like a DC 13, so it wasn't too high. You could still roll it flat, but you would lose a spell slot. Does the level matter yeah, for it? It starts out with your level one, and then it just continues. Does uh, is it like based around like minus five? No, it's just like, like you that? start. You basically want so it's a DC thirteen intelligence save, and you lose a spell slot, like a level. Wow. And it's, it specifies in the ability. It starts with like a level one, and then goes up. So you can imagine if you start casting spells, and then oh, I'm saving this level three spell for my revivify, and that's your only spell nope. slot left. It's gone. Like it, nope. So I love monsters like that that are not necessarily a stack of hit points, mm. but do something to put urgency in the battle. You need to finish this quickly. It's another mech to add to the field. Exactly. You don't always, and it's like I know we hinted at it in our trailer, but you know it's not always through CR. Right. right? Exactly. Sure, I can make an encounter deadly eight million times. I could oh look at the party exp and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. But when I start adding in that, okay, like. Uh, 
uh, initiative count 20, right? Mm -hmm. Some type of, you know, land feature, some type of environment feature, some type of dungeon feature, some type of layer feature. That's what I'm going for, right? Yeah, layer actions. Layer actions, all that stuff. All those things make that encounter much deadlier and you don't have to change yeah, the CR. Yeah, it's exactly. It changes the, it, it, like I said, I can't, I can't preach it enough. That's my DM philosophy really is urgency in the battle. Because if you're in one of these battles, it's not a Witcher gladiator movie like slog where you're slogging through 50 enemies. You know, you're not doing that. You want to end quickly. You want to end efficiently because you run out of things. Like you cannot swing a sword as fast as possible for two minutes. But we get in, we're going to get into more DM philosophies in a little bit. We want to do a little bit of an overview of what the podcast is going to kind of be uh, doing. Uh, so essentially, as everyone knows, Dungeons and Brews, we're going to be talking about a beer. And our first beer, Mo, would you like to introduce it? Yes, absolutely. I picked it up the other day. It's uh, called Zombie Dust. Uh, I believe it's by Three Floyds. Uh, it's an undead pale ale. They call it an undead pale ale, but it's just a pale ale otherwise. So uh, you know what? D&D and... Cheers. Cheers, my friend. All right, let's do the uh, first tipping, sipping. Mm. Oh, that is actually really good. It, it it doesn't sit as heavy as an IPA, which typical dude, everyone loves an IPA that has a beard or thinks they know beer. Um, but <laughs> I think we just alienated half the listeners. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is true. It is true. The kind of stereotypes that guys typically try to like out IPA each other. But this is actually very mild on the hop. I actually really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's not bad. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, ABV is what? Uh, but not too high. Something I actually it. did yesterday while we're yeah. on the topic of alcohol. Um, yesterday, I had a boss battle for one of my new player-friendly campaigns. I have uh, currently running four new players, one vet through a campaign. And I made little health potions for them. Very simple for those of you who are above the dr- legal drinking age, wherever you're at, 18 Canada, 21 United States, wherever else, if you're listening elsewhere. Drink make responsibly, sure you Drink everybody. responsibly and legally. Um, but you can do just with like coconut rum, uh, a little bit of uh, a watermelon pucker, like a sweet sour pucker liqueur and cranberry juice. And you make a little health potion and that's Those are it. Nice. Yeah, it's nice. You make it in a little shot. It's not heavy because most of your coconut rums are lower percentage anyway. So you're not going to get anybody wasted at the no, table, yeah, which is want, not again. fun. But it's a nice little, it's a nice little thing. Fun question then for you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gotten drunk while playing accidentally? Oh. Accidentally and on purpose. Oh <laughs> I, I mean, I have. There have been sessions where I have DM'd and I have woke up the next day and I had to have a player tell me what I ruled on. <laughs> oh Jesus! Like it, now, granted, this was COVID times. You know, we didn't really have anything else to do, so yes, we got we got slots. Oh, this was. Are you guys were playing it online then? Yeah, this online. Was like, yeah, this yeah. was online. There was online COVID. Um, there was one. Or, there was actually two players that I had that had quarantined, and we were kind of like we we were the only people we met up with, so they mm-hmm. would come over. But so it was like half in person half out but yeah i mean i've definitely been intoxicated both playing and dming i had a session about so this was right when we felt comfortable uh at a friend's place so i was when i was still up piecing we'll talk more about what we're currently doing right now dming and things like that but i uh got a bottle of scotch i started sipping right and unbeknownst to me, this was going to be a long session. We decided to kind of push the session a little bit longer. So uh, my DM at the time, we're sitting there playing at the table. Next thing I know, I've gone through half the bottle of scotch. And I was having conversations at the table in my PC as my character's dead. And they're like, aren't you dead? I'm like, oh, yeah. I was I was the, the, the paladin charisma. I was like, oh, no. 
You Somebody feel, cast Revivify on me. <laughs> yeah, you feel my whispering spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, that actually brings I, me to a great topic with DM styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do want to, because uh, for context, Mo and I have only been friends like really a couple weeks, uh, really, before we kind of just... It kind of just rolled into starting the podcast. So I don't know too much. I've seen clips of you DMing from the recordings, but let's start off. How much do you improv at the table? Is it more prep for you or more improv? So I do a combination of both. I realize some of, and, and every DM can relate that some of the best sessions are the ones where you just have a blank notebook in front of you. You're like, this is what I've got planned. I've talked to friends before in some of their styles. They have certain checks in their mind, certain information that characters would know. I do realize I need some sort of structure because I will have a tendency to, I'm not saying I'm going to railroad, right? But I will sometimes push a direction. And when players get that sense that you are pushing, their automatic reaction is no. So I will let it flow naturally to the best of my ability. Mind you, I still have a direction that I kind of want to just, okay, I'll, I'll lay the, the, the stones here. I'll go down that road there. At the same time, I do like having notes on the side of things of what's going to happen. So for instance, instance, again, I have characters in mind. I will sit there and say, okay, they know this much. They know this much. If they want to ask the uh, the players a question, if the players want to ask uh, that person a question, that uh, NPC a question, great. I will roll a check behind the table and see, okay, this is what about what they would know. Mm-hmm. Also, would it make sense for them to know this? Mm-hmm. At the same time, again, you kind of feel it out. You don't want to take away from the player's, you know, engagement at the table. Right. But again, I know it can, it can vary, right? Right. It's, I like to call it brain versus on, versus on paper, right? Mm-hmm. What works best for you? Right. Speaking of which, what works best for you? I know you tell me sometimes it goes one way, and sometimes it goes the other. Yeah. And again, just a few weeks and yeah, so a we lot know of, each other. Yeah, so well, I know. We already, yeah, we are, we're already <laughs> making the podcast. It's too soon. Oh, it's, um, it's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon. Um, uh, no, I am. Pro- I probably lean more towards improv when I'm at the table itself, but I put a lot of my prep work up front. So before I ever start a campaign, I probably spend roughly 40 hours writing, thinking, planning out some encounters, planning out some boss battles. I, I like to have my, uh, I essentially do like four or five boss battles through an entire campaign um, that are like big, like you're going to be there for four or five hours. It's a slog. You know, you'll have some other deadly battles that are penultimate and kind of things like that. So I kind of anchor it around those and then I get my character's backstories. I kind of fit what I have designed as a creature or a, a, you know, a player or whatever it is um, in. And then for each session, I look and see, okay, what information could they reasonably find at this in this city, in this place, in this whatever, in this town, in this forge, in this dungeon, whatever it is. And I make checks for that various information. So for for instance, in the campaign I just did, uh, since it's no longer a spoiler because my players have found it all out, yeah. they were investigating this archbishop who they had suspected was um, doing some less than holy things, basically kind of using darkness as a means to battle darkness instead of the light battling darkness. And on the ceiling of this, one of the players was like, oh, I look up to see if there's anything on the ceiling. Well, I didn't really have anything planned for there to be on the ceiling, but I did have a check, um, an investigation check. I set the DC at like 18 or something for them to discover um, basically a, a roll of parchment that had this sort of prophecy of a dragon creating another dragon through the harvesting of souls kind of thing. Everything you just said is the most badass thing I've <laughs> ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> so, I just want you to know. So it's like you a- had me. You had me at... <laughs> 
darkness using darkness. Yeah. Also, pretty much a Kingdom Hearts line. Yeah, it's, almost it word is, for word. It is. Darkness is darkness is light and light is darkness. <laughs> oh, maybe he's right. What's uh, that, Sora? Not <laughs> Um, whack, whack. I can't. I can't do it. Yet. I can do a Gooby voice. Gooby voice is a match. Your hook. Yeah, but <laughs> That's um, a, and we just lost our Disney sponsor. We did. By the way. We did. Yeah. yeah, Disney is now actually busting down the door. Um, <laughs> but no. So I, I basically moved the check since he kind of was like, I'm gonna do an investigation check as he was laying down on a bed, just kind of like had taken a bunch of damage from a bunch of traps. Was like, I'm exhausted. I'm just gonna lay down and let everybody else investigate. I gave him that information on a mural on the ceiling because he rolled so hot, he rolled the number met. So instead of keeping it to my prep as like you have to find under this table the piece of parchment that's attached, I said, nope, this is more narratively satisfying to reward the player of like, hey, sometimes there's gonna be information in random areas and sometimes it can be in the form of artwork, which is something I like to do. I like to hide hints of things in like artwork that players might be, hey, is there artwork on the wall? And you can kind of get lore to them in different ways you can be like this is a photo of this king well why would they have a photo a painting of this king you know or what whatever it is or this battle or this this something else. i did that with a lot of players as well like they found a, a rolled up parchment of a, of a picture when they opened it up mm -hmm. the uh the faces of of the king at the time was like kind of crossed out scratched out so right and so i that's, always find it i find that stuff again like you said narratively satisfying it's, yeah. it's fun to see them Explore yeah, that and that's what I want. I want there to always be the creativity to search. And so me, as I've kind of DM'd more and more, I go away from putting things in like chests and just books and, and player. I let them find things on a candelabra. I let them, you know, if they roll high enough, that's the that's what matters to me is, is did the dice say your investigation check should yield something? And if I don't have anything for that area, then I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you lore for no reason. Correct. But if I had already said somewhere in this house is a piece of lore and you roll high enough for the check, I'm going to find a way to give it to the check you do. Like I had a barbarian. Whether it's based on history, yeah. whether it's based on investigation. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like I had that. a barbarian yeah. searching yeah. a desk of a bishop that was in that same thing, like a lower bishop that was a vampire. And he, as he searched for it, I was like, I was like, oh, you know, like you're kind of fumbling around with it. And as you like bump into the table, you open the secret compartment, you know, instead of saying like, the barbarian carefully searches like, yeah, you used your your size and you kind of stumbled upon the information, right? But you- Muscle wizard uses fists. Yeah, muscle wizard uses investigate. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> that's kind of me. I'm, I, I guess I am more improv until I am at the table. And then I have basically a set of bullet points of what the session could reveal. And obviously that changes with combat, but for more role play investigatory sessions, that's kind of how I- uh, how I do it. So the lore is very based on uh, usually anchored something in the official D and D lore that I then twist a little. You would bit. change it. Yeah, to, I twist it to a suit little your world. Yeah, exactly. To suit your world. It's D and D, right? Because uh, like you know, especially if you try if you try to follow the lore. For instance, if you just try to follow the role of Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. right? And Faerun, you will never ever have anything make any sense. Like. Half the time, like, okay, there was a time without magic. And um, mm -hmm. when when did this god come into creation? But at mm -hmm. the same time, no, it's D&D. &D. If, right. if it fits your world, it should fit your world in some way. Right, and I feel like the more you, you, the, you can stick to established lore more if your players are more experienced. Yeah. I think that is the main thing. I think the problem that, uh, because I do DM for a lot of like newer or- You've got four groups, DM, right? Yeah, four, four yeah. groups. A lot of the players that I have right now have been playing D&D &D for less than eight months. Wow. So, you know, they're still learning 
spells, classes, areas, you know, think they're still learning what they can and cannot do. They're kind of still testing the limits. So it would be really mean of me to be like, hey, I need you to recognize what these three upside down triangles means as Modius. Like, I, you know, I can't do that. But to my veteran players who've been playing with me since COVID, I can throw the trim, you know, uh, like Sylvester's tree on something and be like, oh, what's that? You know, they would know. So you can kind of be a little more in subtle and they know that the sound that's being used is a magic exactly. mouth they know that it's a like a little rope yeah, trick whatever exactly. the heck that spell exactly. is yeah yeah there's so there's definitely things but that leads me actually uh, to another good point do you prefer vtt's virtual tabletops or do you prefer in person i prefer in person i mm -hmm. i do think it's a little easier for me to read body language as a dm um playing obviously i can go either way um but for dming which is what i do more often than not um I think in person, it's easier for me to read body language because sometimes, you know, somebody might not say, hey, this scene is getting a little too real for me over virtual. Mm -hmm. But in person, I can kind of read the uncomfortableness shift. You know, I can kind of see if they close up. I can kind of see those things and switch the topic if it's I, getting a little too real. I've struggled with uh, virtual tabletops. Like, I know, for instance, my, during COVID, like, we would play online and things like that. But uh, the, the biggest problem was is that I found getting – the players at the table to engage within role-playing at virtual tabletops is just, mm -hmm. it's tough. Right. Whatever you, you one have you have your phone use, on yeah. steroids at your computer. Uh, Correct. Yeah. You have a computer, which is infinite content. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm sitting there clicking in the background going, Ooh, let me look up something else. And like, yeah, sure. I can listen to them. And, but at the same time, I'm playing maybe some low end lo-fi music, by the way, go listen to lo-fi hip hops. I cannot stress that enough. It is always on YouTube. It is the greatest thing ever. You want to just chill out for a solid 20 minutes while you're writing random material about why the god of your world has taken refuge i don't know but like i i struggle to get them to engage in role playing mind mm -hmm. you i know that's part of, of my fault i need to find a way to know that for the players mm -hmm. hey okay what can i do to make your time satisfying here in mm -hmm. in in this virtual tabletop because sometimes i do have one player he has literally god bless him to, i love him to death he has been on the session he's currently living in uh illinois i believe and he's just he's he's there every saturday and he's the most engaged i have him ever when he's in person it's fantastic when he's online it's fantastic other players you put them online it's different from when they're in person i think that just varies on how you react well mm -hmm. with people so again it, it i think something that's helped me with it a little bit um it, it hasn't completely alleviated the issue but something that's really helped me with the virtual thing, because I have some groups that at least have one player virtual and the rest are in person, is I is I have to make specific tasks for their character to do separate or with only part of the group. So I have to give them almost their own little mini arc every session, and that gets them into the role play. Because then, you know, if you're like, hey the rogue sneaks out and does something shady over here and then comes back with a mysterious bag of coin. The party is going to ask them like about... like you want to sell me a car with that <laughs> Can you They're sell gonna... me a car? Yeah. Uh, uh, a Honda? Welcome to the new Honda 2023 Civic. Fully loaded with... I wanted a 1997, <laughs> but fine. I'll say... Well, it's not Fast and the Furious. We're not selling a 97, obviously. Something, but... something family? Yeah, family. <laughs> um, but it, I think those things have been very helpful because then they have something that has changed in the world that the other players on the table will ask them about and while it's still not as good as having everybody in person it re-engages them back with it so you have i think that's been my most useful tool it's not 100 percent effective but it has definitely lessened some of the awkwardness 
So you broke it down to them. Well, like, mm. that, that's the that's the best thing about it. That's a good a DM. I feel like our job isn't just to just sit there and go, okay, you guys go here next. Welcome to the town. These are the people. Here are the here are the shops and stuff like that. But at the same time, like you get them to be. My, a good friend of mine always says, "Invested into your world." How can I get them to be invested into mm -hmm. my world? What do I have to do? Mm -hmm. I'll do it because I want them invested. Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend right now at the table. He's, again, doing great, mm -hmm. but he's doing one of those like, oh my God, I really like, because he just had kids. Again, real life takes a toll into mm -hmm. the world. You kind of pull inspiration from that, right? This is a guy who went from like not having kids before we were playing the session and then having kids after. It's been, it's been so cool to watch them change at the table. And I love it. Like we gave him kids in his world. Oh my God, it affected him. How he plays, what he says, how he does things. And it's just, it's so cool to have that investment mm. and it can vary, right? Mm. But I think that really comes down to world creation, right? It right. really comes down on how you create your world and how you want everyone to interact. Speaking of which. World creation. I think it's time we have our first ongoing segment here. Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to talk about world creation, guys. So where else to start talking about D&D than world building? Mm -hmm. How do you do it? What's your personal experience with modules and pre-existing worlds? I know you heard me mention earlier Forgotten Realms. Uh, have you ever had uh, any experience within Dragonlance or, heck, Exandria within uh, the critical role uh, setting? Mm -hmm. uh, what are your experiences into them, and what's my experience into them? Yeah. Uh -huh. So personally, I have, when I, the first campaign I truly played in 2020, like when I really got in, started getting into D&D, we played Dragon of Icefire Peak. Don't worry, no spoilers, I'm not going to reveal anything, but um, everything, done. everything, everything. Um, but I think the use of a module is very, very nice, especially if you are trying to either bring new players in or you're starting out as a DM. If, and a little bit of both, because our DM was fresh, so it solves a lot of the descriptors which I think some people get overwhelmed by. They look at people like Matt Mercer or Brennan Lee Mulligan or Brian Murphy or you know any of these like big you know Satine Phoenix or any of these like big DMs who have right, extensive Iron Guard, they, yeah, have, they have yeah. they have great improv skills. They have extensive vocabulary. They have all of these. They have the charisma. They have the intelligence, the quips, all that stuff. And they try to do that out the gate. Mm -hmm. It's impossible mm -hmm. to do that. Okay. I was an improv theater kid and there is no way you could have shown me an episode of dimension 20 or critical role or, you know, uh, what, what is Satine Phoenix's, uh, the, the bards that they play the all bard party. I can't remember. The all bard called. party. Yeah, all yeah. Bard party. But that's a great campaign. Like it's fantastic on Twitch. You should look it up. It's a really great one, but any of those, I couldn't do that. And no. I, and I had had years of experience doing improv monologuing, all that kind of stuff. It is a skill refined by practice. So I think the modules take the tr put training wheels on, let you learn the mechanics, and then you can slowly start to take the training wheels away if you want. Also, you can. I've been in some campaigns where people run the modules and it's compelling. You can twist the module, add your own. So you do to twist it. the module. You will not stick to what's after you've established your own confidence. Right. I, I think the main thing for me is I, as a DM, have never run a module to completion. I have never, I've run, never run a module. I've, so I've never run like yeah. even Ravenlaw. Like I've never run, you know, Strahd, Curse of Strahd all the way through. I never ran, you know, all those things. A lot of uh, the my experience with modules has been me playing. Mm -hmm. And I have pretty much homebrewed campaigns since day one, um, which I would not recommend uh, because it was a lot to bite off as a first time DM to do, especially with all new players. The people I was playing with didn't, had never played. So I was 
learning the rules myself still, teaching them the rules, trying to create a campaign, trying to do all the players. It was too much at once. Um, and so I felt like sometimes the story got away from me because I was I was not prepared yeah. enough. Yeah, and so you're sitting there telling yourself, hey, can I do this? Can I not do this? I feel like, especially with the person that I can be when it comes to, and I've done the same, right? I've never run a module. I've never actually been part of a module, uh, except for one. Uh, Iron Kingdoms uh, 5e, they mm -hmm. did a, a recent edition and then a good friend of mine, he DM'd it as well. And I, that was the first time I had been back in the PC role in what feels like years. Mm -hmm. uh, at that same time though, I enjoyed being the PC again, but I could see how he adjusted it towards his kind of setting, how he knows his players, mm -hmm. how he did it. He still ran things by the module for the most part and he adjusted it uh, accordingly. But it, it was nice to see that engagement again. For me, I have, I did the same. I jump into it, creating my own world. That's mm -hmm. it. I'm going to create my own world. This is what I did. And this is how I did it. And mm -hmm. does that work for some people? Sure. Do you make it up occasionally and have whatever was loosened around in your head kind of get spit out on paper? 126%. You mm -hmm. bet your sweet, sweet D20s. Yeah. I did it all the time. I'd be like, Speaking yeah, yeah, of yeah. Which, what'd you get? A 19. 19? All right. All right. Let's see. Come on. <gasps> a 14. Uh, <laughs> I was about to be like, no way. He yeah. yeah. But that's, so it's very interesting that um, you've, ne so you've never run a module. Have you ever pulled like encounters or maps or anything like from a module to use in your own things? Are you still taking inspiration from the modules? I, I still, so my thing again, in regards towards modules, I just, I was never one to go into modules and go, cool, let me use them into my world. I like the Faerun setting, for instance. I like Forgotten Realms. I did a lot of reading, Uh, you know, shout out to uh, Driz Duridan, my boy, my boy, right? Dragon. Dragon, Dragon Magazine, everybody, if you back in the day when D&D &D was young, yeah. they used to release Dragon Magazines, and you can find some very interesting topics. Dritzdurden in. is one of the ones who's a very popular character, but they also have one. Right, like, Salvatore, man. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's Every great. If you don't know, look it up. It, the lore is is really cool. It's so cool. It, it, everything they've established in that world, it, it's fun. But again, there's a lot, right? But again, it's established lore. God forbid if I were to mess it up. You know, my players wouldn't know, but at the same time, I just, I was never tempted to dive into a module. I think I remember seeing an episode with uh, Matt Mercer and Brendan Lee Mulligan actually talking about, it was on, uh, I can't remember which uh, of the shows, but- Adventuring they, Academy. Thank you. Yes, Adventuring Academy. <laughs> but they talked about it. Did you do modules? I just, I didn't do them. I was never so taken in by a module that I'm like, let me do it. Mind you, I've looked into Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd would be cool, mm -hmm. right? Who doesn't want to do a Halloween vampire setting? Like, oh my God. It's right there for and, you. And Strahd, from my limited experience with this horrible voice, he is one of the most iconic D&D &D villains of the modules. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, really, other than like Vecna, which we can talk about later, but Strahd, for those of you who are newer, is basically this kind of like Barovian, where you kind of get this like almost like Slovenian Bulgarian you kind of like, a like feel. This. Yeah, it, yes. it's like it's a very interesting um, sort of uh, aesthetic from like that kind of lore tradition, like in the real world, that kind of yeah. folklore tradition. But he had it's like he the whole module is them uh, Strahd toying with the characters. Yeah, like he could kill them at any time. He's he, he in the module they have like nine or ten different like meetings with him. He can kill them at any time. But he likes to toy with them. And that, I think, makes it a fun, a very fun uh, campaign to do. It does. 
And uh, so again, like, I, plus everyone wants to do the accent, right? Like, mm -hmm. how could you not want to do just do, again? I keep talking about it because I find it so fascinating just to do the accent, the yeah. bulk like this. Yeah, you everyone very just, much your very typical drac your Dracula, Dracula, Alucard. Yeah, yeah. So the fun stuff like that. So. I think that kind of leads us into our official ongoing segment. But we were thinking, why don't we create our own world? Together I with you on the podcast as a way to kind of show you an easy way if you are a new DM or even a veteran DM, just a little bit of the process that we go through. I think I've got this covered. Everyone's favorite game show where you turn your brain into Mind Flayer Mush and let your two charismatic, charming voices with the choices DMs decide a world with a little input from you. Like that? Yes, I was thinking a little bit like that. Yeah, actually, yeah, you kind of yeah. sold the idea right out of my head. But I think here it's going to be very easy to start out with the most basic point of a town. And so I, I think I personally, uh, unless Mo has another idea, would like to kind of steer this toward a new player friendly. Absolutely. And I'm so with you 103%. The, only 103, not 120. Only, no, no, no. You got to get rich 120. Got to get those excess, you know. Yeah, you know just points. extra credit, but extra credit. The, I think the main thing for me is when you're starting a, a new campaign, new DM, even if you got veteran players, but especially with new players, the main thing for me is pull out a piece of paper and get a D4. You, as you, your DM, you're going to need a lot of dice anyway, so you're going to have a D4 on hand. And start with the most simple thing, a village. Just start with a village. So for me personally, I take a D4 and I roll. So I'm going to go ahead and roll a D4 and be like, okay, I got a four. So for me, that's the bottom right side of the paper. So whatever the paper, I would just like mark it and be like, okay, I'm going to be in this area. And then I might, if it's a town, I might roll it again and be like, okay, it's going to be in the bottom left of that section that I made. So somewhere in there, I'm going to put a little town. I'm just going to put a little village. I'm going to give a it a little name. dot. Just a little, little dot, a little name. I'm going to give it maybe you know, one or two things that people do there. Like, are they, is it a mining village? Is it a farming village, wood cutting? Or is it really just kind of a way stop in between? And you can kind of decide that for yourself. But for us, I think what we should focus on is just what's going on inside the actual town. What's going on inside this little village? So yeah, we can, uh, we're gonna base this off of eventually our listeners' great input here. But for now, since this is episode one, mm -hmm. let's talk about what we want in the village. Like, let's let's establish where is this. Let's not even think bigger picture, right? Right. Let's just go small little picture here. Let's go and say it's a small farming village. It's a small farm. What is the name of our small farming village? Let's see. Let's uh, let's bounce some names off here. Uh, Massachusetts. No, Massachusetts. No, no, that's taken. Uh, I like I like anyway. Strudvin. Strudvin works. I kind of like. Uh, Vaughn, 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 we'll Vanala. 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 Kind of like vanilla, but you know, not Vanala. as plain. Vanala. 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 V-A-A. So we got a little farming, we got a little farming town. So my typical rule, and uh, Mo, you can kind of come in this. I don't really remember where I got, I think it was from the DM's guide, but typically with like a something of a village, you've probably got less than a hundred people in there. And so you probably also don't have that many businesses. So you, I usually, for something that's a small village, roll a D6 plus maybe one. And that's how many building, like op shops I would have um, to, to, to do. So I'm going to well, go ahead. We and have grab, an entire bag of dice. Yeah, big old, big old bag of dice in here. We are at my place, so I have a lot. A lot of a dice. A lot so of dice. I'm we'll a go dice ahead goblin. and roll. 
right, and get? that'll be four. So we got four. four different businesses that are in here. So we know the farmers themselves, if we're doing a farming town, they're probably harvesting their own crops. Mm -hmm. They're probably doing their own thing. They are not going to be probably taking it to market and selling it if they're not in a bigger area. And so with the farm, you know you don't need somewhere to sell all of those goods. So you're going to think, okay, what's my first thing I need as a farmer? Probably some sort of metalworking tool like hose, horseshoes, different things like that, like plows. So a blacksmith. We're definitely going to need a blacksmith in the town. They're every medieval town, if you're looking at that, definitely needs one. It's a common, it's a common thing that occurs in every, whether it's a hamlet village, whether it's a mm -hmm. larger village, whether it's a gigantic village. And right? you can look, I mean, as for those of you who are more nerds, you can look at history. Anytime the blacksmith leaves a town, the town dies in the medieval kind of times because you don't have anyone to do nails. You don't have anyone to do all of these things. So for sure, a blacksmith. Then you're going to think, okay, what else do I need? Probably a general store and a... And an inn and bar. Exactly. Why can you not? Because it's a common fantasy trope. You and if it. it if it ain't broke, why fix it? Exactly. So you'll probably Always have, have your players meet in a trope. Uh, in an inn. Always. And not in a trope. What are you talking about? <laughs> you'll probably have the inn and tavern be the same thing. Because yep. it just makes sense. Yep. So your general store might be separate. It might be a separate general store restaurant that's a family-run business. Like a mom-pop shop with the kids working. And those plot hooks write themselves. You can have the daughter go collect supplies from the next village over and be kidnapped by goblins on the way. You can have the son accidentally lose their prized horse on the road back when he was trying to see his secret lover that the family would not approve of. Like you can do all of these sort of things that give you benefits in the small village, but don't require you to write this massive campaign arc that can start to progress the story, progress connections. So you're definitely going to have an inn and tavern. You're definitely probably going to have a general store and maybe a restaurant attached to it. The last building for four for a village can be really anything you want because yeah. this is now you've taken care of people, of travelers. Mm -hmm. You've taken care of general goods and like restaurant eating. And you've also taken care of the blacksmithing, which is the main thing. Other than that, if it's a farming community, they're probably eating off of their own land. So you really don't need anything else in there. So you have some other things. You can make something a little luxury. You can make something even like a small city hall. I was like just about to say, like a, a great thing here to add in is some type of the beginning of your next hit, exactly. a governmental structure mm -hmm. of some sort. Of Let's some start sort. small. Smart, smart. And then we, again, like we said, we're not, we haven't decided whether we're going empire. We haven't decided if we're going democracy. We're not thinking of the bigger picture here. And we're so thinking small and going from there. Mind you, both ways can be done, mm -hmm. but that's the difficult challenge sometimes right. if and you go big and then go small. And then the way I think to leave it open to yourself when you're creating your own little village is very simply base it off of Rome. And I know I sound like every white dude when you was like, let's look to Rome for the answer. But <laughs> Rome in their small... We're going to get canceled. We're going to get canceled so hard. But it's fine because I am white. So I, I admit the you fact that... that. I, admit, <laughs> I, admit, I admit the fact that the stereotype, I, I adhere to the stereotype. I do. But it, here's the thing. Rome is definitely... It's a, it's a great example. In the, I, I see what you're saying, but right? Because you have your... In your distant land. So like when they were controlling like North Africa, all this stuff, they had their small little legates that controlled literally a village. And that was the same during an emperor. That was the same during the democracy, like the Republic sort of times. So just have someone who's the general administrator. Like they can just be a mayor or, you know, whatever you want to call them. 
but you can and you can kind of have them be a little incompetent. That's an yep. easy way for your players to be like, how did they let this guy run whatever? Who elected him or who appointed him or who whatever? And that's the way for you to, after you do whatever conflict is in town, start your bigger. So I think we should probably do a town hall. I'm good with a town hall. Town hall. And then from there, we can actually establish more people from there. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good starting point. That's something that some people tend to get lost in. And like, how do I start? Do I start small and go mm-hmm. big? Do I think big picture? Mm-hmm. The biggest one that I know people tend to struggle with, they try and start thinking BBEG right away. Mm-hmm. Big, bad, evil guy. Like, right away. Mm-hmm. Not the best approach. I At least from what I've learned. Mind you, I have a couple in my in my world, in my fantasy setting, right? I've done a couple settings. I'm like, here, here, here. Right? If they want to ever approach it, players, great. I think sometimes having that organically come out at the table, maybe they thought the big bad evil guy was going to be here, but it turns out to be one of the NPCs that's been their best friend the entire time, right? right. It's It's great to establish that. And for everyone that's listening, I don't want to give you guys anything other than the name of the, uh, of the village. Because their your own creativity can name the buildings, can name the people involved. And if you're like, ah, I'm not that creative, fantasy generator. It's literally you Fantastic. look on Google, it, it gives you names of taverns, places, rivers. If you're not a creative person, you can literally have it give you the names of everybody. It can give you elven names, dwarvish names, all that stuff. You can select it all. I've been I'm, that's it's a great site. And it's there are even site. sites that will create towns for you. Mm-hmm. I personally like this a little bit better because you let the dice decide and I'm a big dice decide guy. But I think <laughs> But I think that is a great starting place for you. And if you take nothing else from the podcast, you could rip this little town of Vanilla with its four buildings, its blacksmith, its inn slash tavern, its general store, restaurant kind of thing, and its city hall. And you can run a game. You can run multiple sessions out of that kind of very simple tasks that seem inconsequential, but build connections. Dare I say, if we have established enough of this world, maybe once it's been established, we do a streaming session of it, maybe. With some of our loyal listeners by then. We gotta talk, we gotta plug the Discord at the end, don't we? We have to. We plug have the to Discord. plug the Discord. Yeah. We do have a Discord. But speaking of which, we're gonna end every segment here at Dungeons and Brews, every single time with final thoughts. Any final thoughts? Random topics of conversation, things to talk about in the D and D world, or personally, hilariousness. For instance, I've got one for you right Ooh, now. Ooh, tell me, Brewmaster Austin, owl bears versus bear owls, who would win? Mm. So are we saying they're similar sizes? We're saying yes, they are similar sizes. Similar sizes. I'll establish that. Okay, yes. I am going to say Bear Owl is going to win. Mm. Because if you look at the owl bear, it takes all of the main characteristics of the a bear. owl. Uh, a... Like the owl for like the physical appearance, right? It's got feathers, yes. it's got the beak, but, but it's, it's got it's the shape of a bear. Size of a bear. What is scarier? Oh. That oh. who can't fly oh. or something with a bear mouth claws flying <laughs> down at you from the sky. I didn't think about this. What have I done? Oh, that God. is scary. <laughs> Terrifying. Uh, I think the uh, I think this one goes to the bear owl. I did not I, think about that. Yeah, yeah. think about the flying, flying bear. A flying, flying bear. Flying bear. Yeah. yeah. No, I uh, am going to have nightmares tonight. Yeah, you're I welcome want, for that. I'm uh, never going to sleep again. <laughs> I can see horrible things. I see everything. When I close my eyes, <laughs> everything is terrifying. Well, with that in mind, I want to thank everybody for listening to this first episode of Dungeons and Brews, and welcome to the pod and part of the brew. Part of the pod, part of the brew. See you guys next time.